Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. How are you guys doing? Wow. Well, final greetings, the final greeting section. So Pastor Cameron, our senior pastor, and Mark are like, hey, Anthony, you're going to do the final greeting section. And I thought, surely you're joking, right? Because no one even reads the final greeting section. So I've put together a brief sermon, a self-help sermon, if you will, on Melchizedek instead. It's called Getting Off on the Right Foot. If we can have those slides, please. (laughs) Kidding. No. It turns out they were serious, right? And so I actually dove into this, and there is some amazing and beautiful stuff in the final greetings section. Didn't expect that, you know. There's a lot of great theology. There's a lot of great practical stuff in Colossians. But here at the end, it is just not without value. And some of the things actually are quite poignant and quite beautiful. So we're going to dive into that today. But first, let's read it straight through. Tychicus, or Tychicus, if you're Mark Morris, will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea and tell Archippus, See to it that you complete the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting to you in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Did we miss some verses there? We did. I feel like we did. I'm going to... That's right. Tech team. Volunteer for the tech team, people. No, I'm just kidding. They're great. They're great. That's okay. We need the help. Jesus, Lord. That's all right. We're just going to go through it bullet point style. Are you guys ready? Starting with Tychicus or Tychicus. Verse 4-7, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Stay awake. I promise. All right, we're going to go through this verse by verse. We are going to talk about who are these peeps, why do they matter. But then we're going to read between the lines a little bit after each chunk And we're going to see that there are some lessons we can learn if we're willing to look a little deeper into the text. So it should be kind of cool. You guys ready? Awesome. So who is this Tychicus guy? Well, he's no newbie. All right? He's been with Paul for a while. And in fact, if you read in Acts 24, Acts 20 verse 4, Paul has a death threat and has to skip town. He's like, whoa, we were going to have these travel plans, but they're going to kill me. So I've got to change and do these travel plans. Anybody want to come? And Tychicus is like, yeah, sure, I'll go. So this is a pretty cool dude, right? He's also probably the letter carrier to the Ephesians. He has almost the exact same job in Ephesians 6, 21 to 22. So he's going all over. He's with Paul. This is the kind of person that isn't bothered by, you know, death threats being a part of ministry life. So he's pretty rock solid. And also when it says that He's a dear brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant. We need to know that this is a running theme with Paul. Minister is actually the word, well, I think it's the word diakonos. Ask Mark. He studies ancient Greek. And this means like a table waiter, one who executes the commands of someone else or someone else's servant. 
It's another word for a servant in the ancient world, world, along with fellow servant, and I think that's the word for slave in the Lord. Isn't that interesting? That's his commendation. Paul says, this guy's great. He's a servant and a slave of God. You'll love him. We're going to come back to that theme. But that's Tychicus, okay? He's no newbie. He's hardcore. He's in it for ministry. And along with this guy, verse 8, I am sending him to you for the express purpose. Oh, excuse me. I jumped ahead. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul already said in verse 7, I'm sending him to you so that you can know all the news about me. And now in verse 8, he's reiterating this. I'm sending him so that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage you. Now, some translations, if you have a King James or a New King James, anybody? All right, you're going to want to cry foul right now because your Bible is going to say, no, no, no. It says that you're sending him to us so that he can know about our circumstances. And, you know, they kind of go back and forth on how they translate that. But the meaning is the same. Paul cares about these people, okay? He wants to convey, he wants them to know how he's doing, and he wants to know how they're doing. Stay with me. It's going to get better. And the encouragement, of course, of the Colossians is very important to Paul. Verse 9, who's this Tychicus guy going with? He's going with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. And together, they're going to, again, tell you everything that is happening here. Three times, Paul says, they're coming to you to tell you about us. Interesting. Who this Onesimus guy is is even more interesting. Some of you might know, but there's a book in the Bible called Philemon, which Paul happens to be imprisoned in Rome and runs into a runaway slave who should probably be killed, according to Roman law, if his master doesn't want him back. The guy gets saved And then Paul sends him back home, but writes a letter to his master and says, Hey, I know this worthless slave, Onesimus, and he admits he's pretty worthless, or at least he was before, in the letter. I know he was pretty worthless, but hey, he's a Christian brother now, so I want you to accept him back. That's this guy. He's gone from being a worthless runaway slave to being a dear brother with a kingdom mission. Isn't that interesting? I think that's pretty cool, man, and it's right there between the lines if you can not nod off reading the final greetings. So here's, here's the reading between the lines takeaway. You guys ready for this? Who's Paul, right? Paul is the apostle, right? He's the apostle extraordinaire, missionary extraordinaire, evangelist extraordinaire. He's a miracle worker. He's a letter writer. He's all these things, and yet... He still cares about people. In every one of Paul's letters, he is writing to a community that he cares about. He mentions people by name. Paul knows names and addresses. He knows who's in whose church. He knows who to greet in towns he hasn't even been to yet. Read Romans. He hasn't actually been to Romans, and yet he fills like a whole chapter in chapter 16 with people that he wants to say hi to. He really cares about people. So here's the takeaway and the challenge for us if we're willing to read between the lines of this first chunk. And that is that you never, I never, none of us will ever attain a level of maturity or a rank or get a position or a job or a ministry that makes love God and love people merely an abstract principle. We're supposed to love people personally and actively now and forever, till we go to be with them for all eternity with Jesus. Does that make sense?
And if we ever are craving a disconnect from people, something's wrong here. Okay? Among other things, Paul loved people. Now we're going to go to a larger chunk that in my notes I have labeled Team Paul. Team Paul. And Team Paul is split into two halves. Team Paul the Jews and Team Paul the Gentiles. He writes about them both separate. So we're going to kind of take it as two chunks, okay? Here we go. Now for the straight text stuff. Verse uh, 410. My fellow prisoner... Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. All right? Who's Aristarchus? We're going to do this again. Aristarchus is hardcore. Aristarchus is a faithful dude. He is no pansy, and that is the truth. When Paul is preaching the word in Ephesus... You guys remember this? And it says in Acts 19, there arose no small disturbance in regards to the way. The whole city riots because they just, they can't handle the fact that, you know, this new religion is having influence in their city and what's going to happen to their traditional religion and oh my gosh, everything's being thrown upside down. Such a violent mob shows up that they grab some of Paul's friends and Aristarchus is one of the guys. They're like, you were with that guy, and they grab him, and they haul him downtown, you know, and it's such a violent mob that Paul's friends won't even let Paul go out to address the crowd. Paul's hiding out, and this Aristarchus guy's in the middle of the, you know, mob getting grabbed and thrown around and stuff, and eventually it dissipates, but what a hairy, dangerous situation, and Aristarchus is right there in the middle of it. Next chapter, the death threat scenario, they escape Ephesus, they spend a few months in another Greek city. And then Paul's got to change his travel plans because of a death threat. Who wants to go? Aristarchus is one of those guys. He's like, yeah, I love going places with you. It's great. You know, this is my kind of life. You know what I mean? So he's still down, even after getting seized by an angry mob. And then you read again. You read on in in Acts 27 when Paul is setting sail for Rome. And this is the trip that actually, you know, has a shipwreck in the middle of it. Aristarchus is like, yeah, I'll go on another trip with you. Not what could go wrong. I love traveling with Paul, you know. So that's Aristarchus. Good grief. You talk about a soldier, right? Aristarchus is down for whatever. He's like, I'll get seized by the mobs. I'll get shipwrecked. I'll go on the trips. Let's, let's just do it, man. Let's just do it. And Paul here gives him a compliment for Paul and calls him my fellow prisoner. Now, we don't know if Aristarchus was literally actually a prisoner, it's more likely that he was just so with Paul in his imprisonment, he might as well have been. He was that faithful. That faithful. So Aristarchus sends you his greetings. Colossians, I want you to know who I'm with. I want you to know my crowd. This is number one, Team Paul number one, Aristarchus. As does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him, and if he comes to you, welcome him. Who's this Mark guy? Well, traditionally, it is the author of the Gospel of Mark, John Mark. And this is interesting, too, because Mark was not always with Paul. He tried to do the whole missionary thing. You guys remember that? And after a while, he was like, well, this is hard. I want to go home. You can read that in Acts 13. And then in Acts 15, Paul and his right-hand man, Barnabas, are putting together their next trip. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take my man, John Mark. And Paul's like, I don't think so, dude. And they have a serious fight. I'm going to read that to you in Acts 15, 37 to 39. 
it says that Barnabas wanted to take John, also called, called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Ooh, we're not taking that, dude. He's a quitter. All right, verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Guys, this is Barnabas he's fighting with, the son of encouragement. Think Seth Gerber. Everybody loves this guy, right? Barnabas is the whole reason Paul was in the church, okay? It was like because Barnabas brought him in, they trusted Paul. And now they're arguing about Mark, the quitter, all right? And such a sharp disagreement arises that they had to part company and they picked different travel companions. And yet something must have happened because Mark is there. Mark is with them. And it's also interesting that Barnabas is mentioned. They must have known Barnabas, literally. Every, did everybody in Asia love Barnabas? Probably. Can't wait to meet that guy. And he says, if Mark comes to you, he's the cousin of Barnabas, welcome him. One more person on Team Paul, the Jews, and that is Jesus, who is also called Justice in chapter 4, verse 11. He also sends his greetings. And then Paul says, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. They're co-workers. And they have proved a comfort to me. Even the least well-known of these people, this justice guy, we don't know much about that dude, but he is a comfort to the apostle Paul. Man, I dare say that is a ministry in and of itself. Come on. I, I read this and I thought, man, how many of the leaders that I've had would have said, oh, Anthony, yeah, he's great. He's a comfort to me. I am afraid to admit to all of you that I have not been a comfort to my leaders in the slightest. It never occurred to me that that's what I should be. Cantankerous, yes, but not a comfort. It's a C word. It's close. But, you know, that's great. Paul is like, I love these guys. They're a comfort to me, all of them. That's a ministry in and of itself. And actually, I'd challenge all of us today. Let's try to be a comfort to our leaders, even though they dare lead us. Amen? Amen. So, Here's the read between the lines takeaway. This, oh, this is fresh for me. I love it. Do you guys see the beauty of somebody like Mark being commended and put right alongside somebody like Aristarchus? Do you see it? Aristarchus never quits. Aristarchus gets seized by angry mobs and suffers shipwrecks and travels all over the known world for no apparent reason with Paul and is dedicated and faithful and loyal and has, loyal and has no quit in him. And then you have Mark, who has quit once already. And Paul is living out what he already said to the Colossians earlier in the letter. I'm going to read the verse. Colossians 3, 12 to 13. Paul just wrote this to these people. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I promise you, there was at least a three-way grievance here. Paul didn't fight with Mark. Mark was the quitter. Paul fought with Barnabas. And there was reconciliation. And there was reconciliation between Paul and Mark. Lots of reconciliation going on. And so I want to challenge us today. Let's not just be willing to reach out and embrace and call brothers the Aristarchuses in our lives who are basically like the terminators of this life. You know, they're just going to do it, man. They're going to do it. 
We need also to have room in our hearts for the marks that maybe have failed us once or twice. We need to be open to that reconciliation because that is the church. We need to be reconciled. We need to give and receive forgiveness and grace. And I would challenge all of us today, if someone is in our life and we know there is a disconnect or an offense or something, take the initiative and make that reconciliation happen. Okay? I have a feeling Paul was probably the apologizer in this scenario. I think. Can't prove it. And here's the other thing. If somebody and you, if you and somebody else are having a problem and they don't know it, <laughs> if you're the only one that knows it and you know what I mean, we need to fix that too. Come on. That's so good, Anthony. Thank you so much. I'm loving this message. Hey, you guys, I do what I can. You know, I'm just here, just serving the Lord, serving the Lord. All right, to recap, love people. Be reconciled. Walk in reconciliation and forgiveness, okay? And now we go to the next clump, Team Paul, the Gentiles. Are you guys ready for this? Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you so that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Epaphras is pretty much the man. If Aristarchus is the man among Paul's Jewish comrades, this guy's the man among his non-Jewish comrades. This is the second time Paul has complimented him in this letter. He's also complimented in chapter 1. He's like, he's the guy that brought the word to the Colossians. And how is he commended? He's a servant, again, a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul only calls himself and Timothy and Epaphras slaves of Jesus Christ. That exact term. So Epaphras clearly is in very high standing in Paul's eyes. Okay? Very high standing. He almost certainly started the church in Colossae. And he may have started the church in Laodicea and Hierapolis as well. And he's wrestling for them in prayer. This guy's like a mini Paul. You guys see that? Paul talks about how he bears the weight of the churches in 2 Corinthians, I think chapter 11. And here we see Epaphras doing the same thing, wrestling in prayer and contending for people even when he's absent. Paul no doubt looks at Epaphras and sees similar attributes to himself. And he's commended here. Not for what he did, not for starting those churches, not for going out and doing all that cool stuff, not for how well he speaks, but he's commended here for how well he serves. Isn't that interesting? And he's commended here for his passion for other people. I love that. Paul's priorities, are, they leak through all over his, his writings. And by the way, that, that word, wrestles in prayer, According to the Blue Letter Bible, which I just stole this right from there, shamelessly, this definition, it literally means to struggle in prayer as a contest, to endeavor with strenuous zeal, to fight and contend. That's how he's working hard for the churches, through prayer. Prayer can be work. Valid work. So we have Epaphras, and we also have our dear friend Luke in verse 14. Luke the doctor, some translations, translations will say the beloved physician. This is the one verse in the Bible we have that tells us Luke was a doctor. And this probably is the gospel writer, Luke. So Luke is great, he's beloved, and Demas sends greetings. We had three Jews, and we have three Gentiles. But 
you know, this Demas guy is just kind of tacked on the end, isn't he? Demas also sends greetings. He's not called beloved. He's not a comfort to Paul like Justice was. It just says, hey, this guy says hello. Interesting. Because in a previous letter, Philemon, he was called a fellow laborer with Paul. In this letter, nothing is said. He's just a guy that says hi. But by the time Paul will write 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas has deserted him. So you can kind of see the transition. He's working with me. He's kind of around. He's gone. Let's read between the lines a little bit, and let's get a takeaway from this section, shall we? In Mark 9.35 and other places, Jesus hits this note a couple times. Jesus says, the greatest must be the servant of all. Remember Jesus talking about this? If you want to lead, you're going to be the servant of all. You can't lead like people in the world lead, lording your power over other people. Like, this is a foot-washing type of leading, all right? I'm showing you how to live, and I came to serve, all right? Paul knows this. It's no coincidence that in 125, Colossians 125, Paul calls himself a servant of the church. A servant of the church. And if you want to get an attaboy from Paul, if you want to be somebody Paul really takes notice of and says, you guys are doing great, you need to have a servant mentality. That's what he loved about Epaphras. He loves the fact that he's a slave of God contending for other people in prayer. That's what Paul cares about, and that's what God cares about. He cares about his warrior-like contention on the behalf of other people. And we contrast that with Demas. Contrast that with Demas. Paul said about Timothy in the book of Philippians that he genuinely cared for the well-being of the Philippians in a way that none other, no one else did that was around Paul. Paul said, I don't have anybody else like Timothy that really genuinely cares about people, you know? And writing to that person that's embodying this thing that Paul values so highly, that Jesus values so highly, Paul says this about Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. Did I copy and paste that? I sure hope I did. Oh, no, I didn't, but that's okay. I know what it says. It says, Demas has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, because he was a lover of this present age, or he loved this present world. He didn't love all you guys with that selfless, other-focused love that Jesus and I and Epaphras and Aristarchus and all these guys value. He wasn't pursuing the same thing. But I challenge all of us today, it doesn't say Demas had no talents. It doesn't say Demas wasn't a hard worker. It doesn't say Demas just wasn't very good at teaching people. He had no spiritual gifts. He could have been the most talented guy in the team. But that's never been what Paul complimented anybody for, and it wouldn't be here. He lacked the most important thing, love for God and love for people. And instead, he loved the world. Excuse me, a little poorly timed mini burp there. Apologize. So we're going to recap again. Love people. We never get away from it. Paul did it actively. He knew names and addresses. He really cared. He wanted them to know about him, and he wants to know about them. We need to walk in grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul modeled this. In his inner circle were people that never failed him and people that let him down. 
and they were together, reconciled, as if it never happened. And then in this one, we need to have an others-focused love. We need to have a servant heart, a servant mentality that really cares, endeavors passionately for the good and the well-being of other people, specifically the church. That's what God loves, and that's what Paul loves. And talent is nowhere on this list. Now for the final thoughts. That's the new section, not my final thoughts, Paul's final thoughts. Just the, the miscellaneous, if you will, to end the book. Is this okay? It just feels long. We're good? Awesome. Verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers and the sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Interesting notes here, if I may. First, Colossae is the has-been town that used to be the big bustling town that has been way outdone by Paul's day by two neighboring cities, Hierapolis and Laodicea. And I just love the fact that Paul is writing to the Colossians, and he says, tell those other guys hi too, right? Like, I really love you guys. You're not a has-been to me. You know, it's just, just an interesting thing. And also to Nympha in the church in her house. Guess what? Nympha is a girl's name. <gasps> what does it mean? Go wrestle with that but she's probably the leader of a house church. So there's that hanging out there. Verse 16. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans. Yeah, give it to him secondhand. And see that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Interesting note on this. People talk about how we don't have the letter to the Laodiceans. We, we don't. That letter does not exist. But this can't be proven, but it's a theory, which I'll share with you simply because I can, and I just read it, and I think it's cool. Some people think the book of Ephesians was written as a circular letter. Paul wrote it to all the churches, and he intended it just to be passed around. And it's possible that it was the Laodiceans' turn to have it. And so he's like, hey, make sure you get that from them. That's for everybody. Can't be proven, just a thought, but I thought it was pretty neat. So I'm going to throw it out there. Verse 17. And tell Archippus... See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Last interesting person here, Archippus, also mentioned in the book of Philemon. He could have been Philemon's son. It looks that way in the way he's introduced in Philemon 1-2. But he's called a fellow soldier, and he had a house church. So this isn't just some random dude. This is probably one of Paul's leaders that he knew in this area. And what is he saying? You guys tell Archippus to fulfill the ministry he has in the Lord. This is super interesting. And Pastor Cameron and I were talking about this, and Pastor Cameron actually thinks this was a spontaneous word of knowledge as Paul was dictating the letter. It's like this and this and this, this. Oh, and tell Archippus he needs to fulfill that ministry. Can you imagine the impact of that? This is being read publicly in your church. And Archippus is like, oh my goodness, it's crazy. How does he know? Would have been super powerful. But... It's also possible that Paul knew what Archippus' ministry was supposed to be, and he's just encouraging him. And he's like, guys, tell him not to quit. Tell him not to quit. Tell him to keep going. Tell him to fulfill that ministry. This is not a rebuke, okay? So cool guy there. In verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, and grace be with you. MC Genwicky, when am I supposed to be done? All right, I'm only going to go five minutes over. Sweet. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. First, let's talk about the chains. What's he doing here? Well, 
He already said in Colossians 1 that he rejoiced to suffer for the sake of the Colossians. Paul's mindset, remember, it's totally kingdom. It's, it's almost alien and foreign even to the best of us. That he considers suffering partaking in the very work of Christ himself, and it makes him happy in some strange way. It's still suffering, though. So no doubt, remember my chains has a prayer request in there. Like, I'd really rather not be in chains. You know what I mean? I'd really rather be able to come see you instead of sending Tychicus with this letter. So remember these. But it's not just that. It's also the claim of authority. And it is a mark of his apostleship, and it is something he is proud of. And if you want to see this expounded on, you can go to 2 Corinthians 11. And there's a whole bunch on it, but we're just going to read 22 and 23. In this letter in, the, in Corinth, we had some false apostles coming in, and there were braggarts, and they were boasting about how great they were. So Paul says, you know what? I'm going to do a little boasting about how great I am. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 22 to 23. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. And that is Paul's backward claim to authority. I'm the real deal because I've been treated shamefully so often. What do you expect if you're the real deal? Whoa, geez, Paul, it's amazing. So remember my chains is a prayer request, but it's also reminding them, remember who I am in my life and what I'm suffering for Jesus and that I have the authority to say what I just said in this letter. Remember these chains. And then he ends with grace be with you. Grace. I'm going to read the definition. Guess where I'm getting this from, guys? That's right. Blue Letter Bible. You too can be an instant scholar. No, it's not that good, but it's real good. Check it out. First definition, grace. That which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, or loveliness. Yeah. You can pray that for me, Paul. I'll take that. That which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, and loveliness. Here's the second definition. Of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon our souls, turns them to Christ, keeps them, strengthens them, increases them in Christian faith and knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. In other words, this is the real, tangible, day-to-day enabling and comfort of God. Grace be with you. You know, Colossians begins with grace to you, and it ends with grace to you. Our Christian lives begin with grace and end in grace. It's fitting. And here's the takeaway from that section. In the beginning of this letter, he said all these things about salvation. He's like, if you persevere. You know, you've been transferred, no more kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light, all these things are great. If you persevere. Well, we're going to need grace for that, amen? And we need to trust that God is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and he's not going to leave unfinished what he started. But humility and wisdom say, I need grace. Final takeaway, final thoughts. 
So we have deep caring for people. We have walking in forgiveness and reconciliation. We have leading with the heart of a servant. And here's the last thing. And, you know, I'm really pondering this. Paul demonstrates in his life what we should all do. He lives in the unity that only the kingdom of God really affords. He lives in the unity that the kingdom of God makes possible. In three, chapter 3, verse 11 of this book, he said, Here, in the kingdom, in the church, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul lives this reality because Jesus really is his all. Imagine if you were one of Paul's friends, and this is, I'm finishing with this. If you knew Paul when he was at the height of his Phariseeness, right? And he's got the right lineage, he comes from the right family, he's trained by the right guy, he's more zealous than everyone else, he's smarter than everyone else, he's never messed up, he's going around persecuting these people who are, you know, ruining the faith with their new beliefs. And then maybe, you know, you're his friend Jim, and you shake Paul's hand and you say, well, I'm off for Rome, you know, I'll, I'll see you later. Years later, you happen to be in Rome and you hear about your old buddy. Paul's in town. And then you start hearing weird stuff. He's a prisoner, but he doesn't mind. Well, that sounds weird. Sounds dishonorable. Paul wouldn't like that. He's hanging out with Gentiles. No way. Yeah. And he calls them his brothers and his co-workers. No. No, no, no. And he says he's a slave of this Jesus that he used to persecute. What? That's crazy. Yeah. And he's hanging out with slaves, too. Like, there's this one slave. There's a runaway slave. And instead of handing him over to the authorities, now he calls him his brother. Like, no, I don't think we're talking about the same guy. I don't need to go visit this guy. This isn't the same Paul, right? It's not the same Paul. His life has been so radically changed by Jesus. Jesus so dominates his day-to-day, and also the passions and the drives of his heart. What he thinks about, what he ponders, what he cares about, are so centered on Jesus that this unity is made possible. You can't offend Paul enough to get away from unity with Paul. There will be reconciliation. You can't be of a low enough estate not to be called Paul's brother. He will go down to you. It doesn't matter what country you're from or what language you speak because Christ is all and in all. That was the reality Paul lived in. And especially today, I would challenge us as the church to enter into that reality. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. God, your word is amazing. Your word truly, truly amazes. Even the final greeting section. Lord, forgive me for kind of poo-pooing it when I got this assignment. And Lord, thank you for the truth that you've revealed through it. Jesus, I really ask that we could start to live out and emulate these things, God. Let us care about people more. Let us be that kind of person. God, we promise to reconcile whatever wrongs we know exist, whatever tensions exist. God, we want to have an other, others-focused life. We want to lead like servants, God. We want to be proud to be your servant. And we want to experience that unity that you came and died for. In Jesus' name, thank you so much. Amen.